Turn with me to the book of Acts, the 12th chapter. The book of Acts, 12th chapter. If you do not have a Bible, Joe is passing around. Raise your hand and you will get one. If you are a visitor and don't have your own Bible, you are welcome to take it home with you. As you open to Acts 12, I just want you to know that uh, I've been encouraged to stay in the theme of prayer, and I uh, so appreciate um, what I saw last week as I sat at the back of this church and watched groups of people praying with each other. Um, That is just so encouraging to a pastor's heart because it isn't a focus on the pastor or on the worship leader. It is a focus on Jesus Christ in this place, and so as we pray together. Uh, We lift his name up among us. And so um, the other thing that encouraged me this week is that Ryan picked the songs before I picked the passage. And so he called me and says, well, I just kind of walked by faith this week. Here's the songs. And as I looked at it, it affirmed the fact that God wanted us to go this direction. And so I just thank the Lord for his affirming uh, hand in our hearts and that he moves us together. And so Uh, We're obviously still staying in the life of Peter, as we were last week, uh, we are again this week. And in chapter 12, uh, we're going to start out with the first five verses, read along with me. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Let's just stop there in regards to the theme of prayer. Uh, And in, in regards to specifically praying corporately in the Spirit. Um... Years ago, I think it was in the 60s, prayer was kicked out of the school, public school system. Um, There has been a continual movement uh, to take anything of God out of government buildings, out of any kind of public buildings. There has been a move in our country uh, to take God away uh, from our country. And... um, Uh, The church itself is deemed irrelevant uh, by the culture and by the leadership of this land. And just like in in Peter's day, um, there is a move to cancel the voice of the gospel in our generation. Do you feel it? Yeah. Yeah. So do I. So do I. I... uh, I've been praying over city council meetings for probably seven years now. And during uh, this time, 
Um, it was a Granville that really made a move in which they allowed an atheist to come in during what they call invocation. And he came and he spoke a word over them and they equated that to invocation. And there has been a pressure against Wyoming City uh, to do the same thing, to, to stop praying before council meetings, and, uh, and to make it more of a just, hey, let's let anybody speak. Well, if you understand the word invocation, it means that, that you are invoking to one that is higher than you a request for wisdom to lead, just like Solomon did. He invoked uh, the Lord for wisdom to be able to lead the people of Israel. And so that is what invocation is. Well, up to this point, they're still letting me in. And in Wyoming, um, um, we just um, elected Kent Vanderwood as our mayor. I think so. I think that's his last name. I know Kent personally, but last name's just like missing me. He is a believer, and he is now a mayor, which will mean for the next six years that he will be leading our city. And, uh, and he told me, because I happened to be uh, at his, um, when, when he was inaugurated into position, um, he, said, uh, he said, I'm so glad you're here, Andersma, um, to uh, pray me into this position. But there is this move. Now, there is another move. You and I have been discipled. We have been discipled that when life gets stressful, when we're under anxiety, when there is a threat against our life in any way, shape, or form, isolation is the answer. That's where you'll find healing. We have been discipled to believe that way. Is that biblical? When I go through times of anxiety, what am I called to do? By God's word. Go ahead. To pray, to come together, to support each other, to come closer. We have been discipled. And so this passage about Peter and about, um, about this experience that the church is going through as persecution is breaking out and um, is that is really the call uh, to come back corporately to pray that when we go through tough times, to grab people around us. One of the things that we did as a leadership at one point in time in our history was we said, okay, we are going to learn um, how to, uh, we're going to teach our people how to pray. And we're, how we're going to do that is that when there's something come up, when you hear about something with somebody, immediately drop everything and pray with them. Pray with them. And, um, and so it was, it was neat to see, for me to see um, uh, that happening in this church. And, and it really, in, in my experience in churches, it was one of the first times I'd seen that. And I saw leaders praying with other people and, and coming alongside of each other and supporting each other. And it was an awesome thing. And so I want to I encourage that because there is something about praying corporately, whether it's two, whether it's three, whether it's a whole body, that, that is powerful. As we come into this passage, though, I do want you to know the characters. Uh, first is Herod. 
uh, Herod Agrippa I, um, who reigned from 37 AD to 44 AD. He was um, Herod the Great's grandson, and Herod the Great is the one who cut John the Baptist's head off. Um, and um, he was always on shaky ground with Rome. Uh, he, was, um, he was somebody who couldn't stop his mouth from talking. You know what I'm talking about? And so anyways, one time he was talking about the emperor, got back to him, and he got put in prison. And when that emperor died, he was released from prison, and as a, um, a, as a wonderful gift, he was given the rule over Palestine. And to stay on Rome's good side, um, he had to maintain a loyalty to the Jewish people so that, so that they would stay uh, under his control. And so it all costs. And so you see this here, that when he killed James, he found that the Jewish people were really glad about that. Get rid of these Christian people. And so, um, and so that is what caused him then to say, oh, you know what? They liked it so much. It's kind of like Lay's potato chips. You know, you can't just eat one. You got to go for more. And so he then arrested Peter. Peter's our second, our second person here. He's a former fisherman, follower of Jesus Christ, denied Jesus, was restored, filled with the Spirit, preached a life-changing message of the gospel, and now living the Spirit-led gospel life uh, before the Lord. And he, in, in, in regards to his walk with the Lord, was jailed. Praise God. The third character is what I call a post-Pentecost church. Spirit-filled believers who were converted from Judaism to Christianity. In fact, contextually, you see the movement in here, uh, both in the, in the fact of what happened in Peter's life, but also as Barnabas in chapter 11 goes to get um, Paul out of, um, uh, out of his hometown and uh, of Tarsus, and then brings him, and they go to Antioch, and there is an outbreak of the, of the Spirit of God, and this is the first place, which is cool. It's the first place where believers were called Christians. Why were they called Christians? Yeah, little Christs. Yeah, that's what it means. Little Christs, as we live our life. Is that what we're living like? Like our Savior, walking each day. So anyways, that is the reason. And so, uh, so this growing family, one of the things that's fascinating is that they, they went from reading by rote the, rare, the prayers of the rabbis to um, the Bible here describes that they earnestly were praying in the Spirit. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does that mean? If you understand the word earnestly, you'll understand what was really going on here. It can be um, also, it's, it's also interpreted as fervently, and in fact, the message says that it is most strenuously. What it is, it's, it's a medical term for a picture of stretching a muscle to its limit. There is only one way you can stretch a muscle to its limit, and that is... Um, if it's stretched in the same direction and in the correct direction that the muscle should be stretched, right? You can stretch it to the limit. And, uh, and so that is, as, as you think about this, I want you to think about the, Jesus praying these words, Father, 
Make them one as you and I are one. It's in the oneness of a family that, that we stretch the limit. And, and, then Peter, and then Paul describes that even more in, in the passage just before the one that uh, Ryan had read about uh, having the mind of Christ. But he said, he said this is it. This is it. You have the same love. You love Jesus. You, you, you say, have the same heart and the same mind. It doesn't mean that we all have to think the same thoughts, but that when it comes to our relationship with God, that we have such a oneness that we do not let anything come in between us. No squabble, no division, no separation. Because we have the same love. And we have the same mind and the same heart. We're fighting the same battle. We're all going in the same direction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on this a little bit more, but it is, it's so important. It is so important that we become a people that with all our heart, with all our minds, and with all our souls, we love Jesus and we walk together no matter what begs to separate us. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Why is that so true? Because to pray corporately in the spirit, we have to be humble. We have to lay everything down, trusting that he is the one that will lead and guide us. Pride cannot leave, lead a spiritual organization. None of it. None of it. And so in this mindset, the, pray, the church is praying earnestly with all their heart in the same direction, stretching themselves before God, crying out on behalf of Peter. Have you ever had that in your life? Have you ever done that corporately? Uncaring about what people think, just crying out to God together? I think it's fascinating and amazing. You know, our God is a God of time. He made time for us, and he made a time for Peter because the day that he was seized, it happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And Herod had enough understanding of the Jewish um, celebrations that he was unwilling uh, to make a decision uh, for um, Peter during that festival time. I just find that fascinating. They didn't do that for Jesus. It was the Passover when the lamb was taken and sacrificed. But this lamb, by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, was held in check until after the festival was over with. 
I don't know if you struggle with what's going on in your life right now. And if you feel like things are kind of coming in on you. I am telling you, our God knows exactly where you're at. Exactly the timing. And he knows exactly what's going to happen next. Will you trust him? We also know that since it was the Passover that probably was in the March-April time and probably was a year after Jesus Christ was crucified. Can you imagine being Peter in prison and at the exact same time that his own Savior was crucified and now he knows he's pending death? Would that be significant to anybody in this room? I think it's a little bit significant. And he's just... He's, I mean, come on. Put yourself in Peter's place. You think there's some anxiety? Think there's a little fear? I do too. I mean, I don't want to go any farther without you really kind of experiencing and feeling what he's feeling. James was killed. He knows Herod is like a sadistic tyrant. He loves to murder. He murders. It's common in the Herod families that they murdered their own family. And he is sitting in prison in this timing. As we go on, we see that in verse 6, that the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Just why is this important? This little fisherman, this nobody, is being guarded by a rotation of 16 soldiers. Do you think Herod was scared of Christianity? Do you think our world is scared of Christianity? I do too. I do too. I think that's why they want to eradicate it. Because they're afraid of what it has the possibility of doing. Are you living so strongly for Jesus Christ that unbelievers are shaking? Not because you're mighty or powerful, but you're just so on to Jesus that when people look at you, they literally can feel his presence. Corinthians tells us that you are one of two things to people if you're walking with Jesus. You're either a fragrance of death to unbelievers or you're a fragrance of eternal life to those who are being drawn by the Father to the Son. And so, here he is. He's in prison. They're afraid. He's, he's, they got soldiers all over him. And this man who, come on, there was, he had to struggle with it. But was he overcome by it? Because it says in verse 7, excuse me, that um, in verse 6, that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers with chains on. What an amazing thing. Here's four soldiers that have to remain awake. If they fall asleep, they'll die. They have to remain awake. They're chained to this man. 
and he's going. <laughs> now, they're missing the, the Olympics. They're ticked off that they have this, this charge. And here's Peter snoring next to them in chains. How many of you have, have lost sleep in your nice soft beds because somebody did something unjustly to you? We have to remember that not only was Peter innocent, but in the midst of this flagrant injustice, he knew what he was facing, and yet he was sleeping. How in the world could Peter sleep? There's two things that, the, that I believe God brought to my mind. First of all, in John 13, 36, Jesus speaking directly to Peter said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter now knows it's the cross. He now knows it's the cross. And he has the promise that he will follow Jesus later. You know that Peter was crucified on a cross, right? But what was different about Peter? It's upside down. Why was it? Because he, he could not imagine himself crucified the same way his Savior was. He asked to be crucified upside down so it would be different than the one that he followed. So that's the first thing. You're going to die. Do you find peace in the fact that God knows exactly when you're going to die? Do you? Because I find amongst Christians, even professing Christians, a real fear of death. We've forgotten. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's been overcome. You don't have to fear death. Death is a, death is a transition into eternal life. Life with God forever. No more pain, no more suffering. No more, you name it, not, no more of it. Anybody get some joy out of that? I sure hope so. The other thing was this. John 21, 18, after Jesus reinstates Peter through forgiveness, he says these words, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you were dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. But when you are, what? Older you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Not only did he know his time, the time, not only did he know um, that the day of departure, he knew, the day of, he knew that he was going to be old. He wasn't old yet. This is why it's so important for us to know God's word. Because it's in knowing God's word at a time in your life that is bringing anxiety that you find comfort. If you don't know his word, if you do not hold on to his word, 
You are not going to get the comfort that you need at the time. But when you go through the most difficult time, as Peter has, and you remember the word of God, he becomes your peace that surpasses all understanding. He becomes your strength to endure. He becomes, I remember, um, I remember a friend of mine um, who had cancer, and you're going to hear about something that happened in his life later, but when he was in the hospital, his wife looked at him and said, Rudy, we're going to give glory to God whether this cancer takes your life or not. Right? And he said, yes. And that is the word of God working in the heart of people. In fact, the interesting thing is that today, as we speak, Rudy has got cancer again. And so, and he's still praising God. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, and, and you need to hear this today. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Going through anxiety, going through difficult time, keep your mind on God. Let his word minister to you. Go to it often. Go to it often. Let's go on with the story. Fascinating story, I think. 7 through 11, read with me. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in a light shone in the cell. I laughed when I read that because it still didn't wake Peter. <laughs> so he had to do what? The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Dude, get up! And, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened up for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt what the Lord has sent his angel that is, the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. An amazing, um, an amazing story. I think that I gain so much encouragement from the fact that Peter didn't know what was going on. In our society today, we have um, made out strong Christians as though they know exactly what God's will is and know exactly what's going on and they're very in control of their life. And I think that that is a lie of religion. Because the truth is, the truth never changes. So whatever happens has to, has to align with God's word. And we can stand on that. But I am telling you, if God is not doing something that you don't get in your life and moving you in places that you have no understanding why you're there, I, I, I think you have set a very strong control cage around your life. And you're not allowing the spirit to move you. Now, I know that Peter was brought here not in his own uh, accord. I get that. But I, I, can, I can cite you many chapters 
and many verses where God moved his people into places, A, they didn't want to go, or B, they had no idea why they were there originally. You may be, you may be in this church uh, maybe for the first time, and, um, and you're kind of wondering why you're here. <laughs> and I applaud you. Um, some of us have wondered the same thing. Because God has and is moving in, in, in unique ways and doing unique things. But I want to just encourage you, um, stay the course. See what God has in mind for you. It may be that he wants to use you in a mighty way to draw others unto, his, unto him. Not because of a pastor or because of a worship leader, but because God always works in, the, in corporate with his people. He always draws his people together. I want to read you um, one that, as I, as I was studying, jumped out at me about one who was, um, knew what God's call was on his life, knew um, the direction that it was going to go, and yet in the midst of it, he struggled. He struggled with it. Listen to Jeremiah called to preach his people into captivity. He says in the 20th chapter, the 7th verse, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of, of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. People of God. Anybody in this room that thinks that following Jesus Christ is going to give them a very blessed and easy life has been lied to by prosperity Christianity. God is calling us to follow him. The reason we have peace and prosperity is because we haven't opened our mouth up. Open your mouth up, as Jeremiah did, and watch what happens? You'll be a fragrance of life to some and a fragrance of death to others. And when you're a fragrance of death, you become their enemy because they're afraid of death. I hope that makes sense. The other thing that jumps out at me here is, is that as they were moving through, as the angel was bringing through, he didn't understand what was going on. And as they walked out, the iron gate opened for them by itself. Prayer is the, and corporate prayer, is the door opener. Now, I am not saying to you that every door you pray over, if you pray over uh, Casavia doors to open up, that they're all going to open up. But what I am talking about is in a spiritual sense. In Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, the door of spiritual intimacy was barred and closed for all humanity because the Garden of Eden housed the tree of life. And if our forefathers, Adam and Eve, were able to eat of the tree of life, 
we would have been for eternity lost from God. And so he barred that spiritual intimacy with him for a very specific reason. But when Jesus Christ came, he demonstrated that intimacy as he prayed to the Father, so much to the point that his own disciples asked, "How teach us how to pray, because we see that spiritual intimacy our hearts desire. When Jesus died, the veil to the Holy of Holies was rent from the top to the bottom. And spiritual intimacy was again opened up to all humanity. In Romans 8, 9, Paul reveals the importance of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. No matter how much you practice religion, if the Spirit doesn't live in your heart, you are not of Christ. And that will be shown. You will continue to see a drawing away farther and farther and farther from his presence. But as the Spirit of God lives inside of you, Paul goes on in Romans 8 and says in the 26th and 27th verse that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know, we do not know what we ought to pray for, right? Paul, uh, Peter didn't know what was going on. Jeremiah cried out. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so in our weakness, when things are difficult, when we're in anxiety, and we cry out even just with groans, the Spirit interprets and speaks to the Father. And that is where Hebrews picks up the fourth chapter, the 16th verse, and says, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we then can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so, doors open. The door is open today. The very thing that you desire in your heart the very, God said this about you, that in, in, in Ecclesiastes 3, 3.11, that eternity has been set in the heart of every human being. And that there's only one filling, and that is the eternal God. And that door has been opened up again so that you can have intimacy. The very thing you need, the very thing that you're running to, everything physical to try to find, you'll never find. It's all... Uh, a square peg in a round hole. Jesus Christ is the round hole that will fit. Some of us today have spiritual gates that need to be opened. They've been closed for years. We're bound up in the attitude of our own human control and it keeps us imprisoned in our lives. As I, as I, as I wrote that line, I thought of, I thought of the book um, Pilgrim's Progress. And if you remember, um, Christian and his um, companion, Hopeful, get locked up in the castle of despair. Uh, while it appears that they have no way out of the cage in the castle, which is filled with bones of people to witness to them, you have no way out, they become 
discouraged and are drawn to despair. After four days, it says, that Christian and hopeful did what? Began to do what? Pray. Thank you. Somebody read that book. They began to pray. And what happened? Christian remembered that he had been given a key. A key that he kept close to his heart. What was this key? The key was the promise. The promise is found in 1 John 2.25. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. I don't have to be overcome by anxiety. I don't have to be overcome by despair. I have the key in Jesus Christ to get out. And they took the key, they unlocked the door, and they left. Prayers done corporately can open doors. Are you imprisoned by fear, despair, anxiety, greed, grumbling, isolation, hopelessness, doubt in your future, or helplessness in life? Cry out to God who is able to open up all iron, spiritual iron barred doors and set you free. Bring others into your prayer and together watch how God can free us. In this hope, Peter stands there and it dawns on him what God has done in his life. Think about that. Think about that enlightenment. Paul prayed this prayer. I pray that your hearts will be enlightened to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Some of us need our our eyes opened up and revealed that even though you have been going through a difficult time, even though your depression has lasted a long time, even though you are called to an obedience and you've got to make a decision in obeying God, he's there, he's your strength. Walk through it, trust him, believe in him, and keep walking. And he will. He will. The greatest thing is he will open up your mind to what's really happening. You remember the disciples after the resurrection and they're walking down uh, the Emmaus Road and Jesus joins them and they were kept from recognizing him until he broke the bread and did communion with them and then their eyes were opened and they said, didn't his word burn our heart as we were walking? Today, allow God to free you to open up the gates of your spiritual prisons and let him open your mind up to his reality. And he's right there with you, and he loves you. Let's keep going. I'm excited. What's going to happen? In uh, 12 through 18, it says, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, (laughs) they told her. 
When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. There was a belief in the Jewish world that uh, ministering angels or guardian angels actually could take on the form of the person that they were guarding. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. As we look at this uh, moment uh, in this miraculous um, act of God in this moment, I don't want you to forget the forces that are at play here. First, you have to remember Herod, who loves killing people, especially when it makes unbelieving Jews happy. Second, you have to remember the Jewish religious structure that was in place that hated and opposed the teachings of Jesus Christ, even though it was the same teachings, because it didn't support their religious control system. Third, you have the mighty Roman army that not only guarded the jail, but also kept the Roman peace by enslaving the people. In the midst of all these forces, we move into a household where Mary, who must have been a wealthy woman because she had a servant, and she was the, the mother of John Mark. Do you know a story of John Mark? He was the one that abandoned uh, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But what do we learn about the importance of corporate prayer, prayer in the spirit during this time? The first is this. The door is locked because of fear. But that fear did not stop the people from praying. It's important. Many of our lives are moved by fear. Even much of our anger is moved by fear. Anger is a second emotion to fear in our heart. But I want you to notice that, that in the midst of, of this fearful moment, these family of God were praying. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You have to understand, chapter 5 of of, of Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter, is all about shepherding the flock and about the elders and the encouragement to draw together the family of God. Because why? Because the devil is prowls around like a roaring lion, it says, looking for someone to devour. We're in spiritual warfare, and the church has to wake up to it. This is no game. Our lack of praying, our lack of crying out to God, our lack of coming together and calling upon the name of the Lord in this very important generation is part of the destruction that's going on around us. We can be part of the healing if we'll trust God. I know you're afraid. I know you have anxiety. I know you've been taught to isolate. But I'm telling you, that is not our God. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's he is community, and he's calling us to be a community to cry out to God and to call on him. I get the fear. Let's overcome fear with faith 
Let's come together. Let's call people together often. This church is going to call us together to pray often because we've been losing the battle because we haven't. Second, prayer is the faith to reach into a reality that is beyond us. Notice the church's response to Rhoda. You're out of your mind. It couldn't happen. What were they praying for? <laughs> Just, but, but that's the whole point. If you have taken religion and, and put it into a box, nice and comfortable for you because it fits your life, you're missing it. If you're not allowing God to take you to a place that you can't imagine or even ask for, you don't get what it is to walk with the Lord. It isn't about retiring with a lot of money and having everything you need. It's about being so set on fire by Jesus Christ that you don't care if you lose it all. Because you know he's your all in all. And he's got a plan, a purpose for your life. It does not matter. Think about Abraham. He walked out of a structure of life because the only way that you had a job was what your father's father, father, father's father's father had. And you stayed in that practice because that's what they did and that's how they found life to be. But God called him to go to a land he didn't know into something that had absolutely no financial value to it and he could be walking right into his death. But he went. He went. And he found out that a God can provide everything you need. Even at Pharaoh's hand. Crazy. People of God Ephesians 3, 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to, listen to this, his power that is work within us. Within us. Within us. Do a, uh, Josiah talked about studying the Bible thematically. I, I love that. It was a great, great message. I listened to it. Thank you, brother. Um, study. The word one another. And see how many times it comes up. You'll be surprised how many times God says, like was prayed this morning, where two or three are gathered in my name. One another, one another, one another. Over and over again. Because he's coming with a principle, and that is the fact that in the midst of y'all learning to love God, Important, but love each other. Love each other. In the midst of that, that's where I am. And, and in the humility of that, as you come and bow before me, and you come on level ground with each other, I will work out my will amongst you. Think about it. This is not my notes, so you no, no extra charge. But think about it. The Pharisees spent so much time separating themselves from others. Their whole religion was based on how good they were and how bad, especially those Gentiles, they called them dogs. 
but how bad those, they, the others were. And their own religion caused them not to see Jesus. Don't let that happen to you. And that, of course, goes... Um, That goes immediately into uh, the unity of the saints. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that it's night. I want you to know that it's probably after midnight. And that these believers are praying. They're praying together. Now this is where I want to expand on that word earnestly. Or stretching the muscle to its full capacity which can only be accomplished by stretching it in the right direction and in the same direction. At the same time that I'm writing this message, I have the privilege and honor of walking with, um, Sue and I have the privilege and honor of walking with a woman in Virginia over Zoom. Um, she is somebody, and I'm not going to go into all the things, but she is a math teacher. Now, how many in the room Hated math when you were in school. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am one with you immediately. <laughs> and so, anyway, so I'm, 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 I'm thinking about this word earnestly, and I'm, 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 I'm talking with her, and I, I, I said something to her, I think which has got to be an attitude that I have uh, overall, and I said, how can I speak to you in a way that you can hear me. And she said, she said, I have never been asked that. She said, you don't know how much that validifies me. She said, she said, honestly, it's really a vector problem with me. And I'm going, what the world is a vector problem? <laughs> This is what I've learned. I talked, to, I talked to Bob and I talked to Joe and Bob went, I have no idea where you're going with this. Joe just took a picture out and he made a picture for me and that was helpful, but anyways. Um, so a vector is, is that an object or mass can be moved in a certain direction by measuring the forces and the angle uh, that are pushing the object. That's a simple and that you guys could go a lot farther than that. I don't want to go any farther than that because I don't know any more than that. Um, and, and so, um, as, as an, uh, let, me, let, me, let me try to draw it. So, so, she gave me an illustration which was really helpful. So, if I had a sailboat, oh, it's too big, but I want you to see it. So, if I have a sailboat, and over here is an island that I'm trying to push it to. And here's the water. There are two forces that, that work on this sailboat. The one is the wind. And, uh, and, and that is a force. The other is the current in the water. Now, in most instances, the wind is stronger than the current. And so, um, and so what, why it is a vector problem, why it was a problem for this lady is the fact that 
most of our relationship up to this point, and you, you, you'd say amen to this, I'm the wind. <laughs> She's the current. And she has been pushing this way when I've been blowing this way. And so... Um, it can, the, the stronger force can overcome the weaker force, but it takes a lot more force, and a lot of times it will steer off because of the current going the wrong direction. Um, now, so going opposite. Um, there, I don't need to go there. Okay, Lord. The vector problem that she's talking about is the fact that we've got to get in the same direction. If we get in the same direction, then the, ob then the sailboat, if the wind and the current is, is in the same direction, this way, then, then the sailboat will more easily and successfully get to the island. Does that make sense to you? Because that's as deep as I'm going to go. I, I watched something on, on, on YouTube, and it was like drawing angles and coming up with, with Newmans. And, and this is, are you serious? Get out of here. Uh, but this is as simple as it gets. But see, that is, if we take the analogy to ourselves, this is the kingdom of God. The sailboat is the gospel. And God is calling us as a church to work together so that the gospel, and we, we could put the world out there, but that the gospel will be given to the world because obviously the movement of the, of the boat is, is the picking up of new souls, of new people of new lives as the kingdom of God grows. That's the whole point you're sitting in the chair is to grow in the Lord and to tell others about the Lord. But we have to be, we have to be blowing in the same direction. We have to, the current has to be in the same direction. Now this is the other thing which I thought was so cool. You know how our world puts value on people. And so if you're stronger, you have much more value than somebody that's not. This past week in football, there was a 24-year-old young man, strong as an ox. He was, I think he was a safety. And he made a tackle on somebody. And guess what? His heart stopped. His heart stopped. He stood up and he staggered backwards and he fell right down. And they, you know, immediately got out there with a defibrillator and, uh, <laughs> and, and pumped and, and got it. And they brought him to the hospital. And as I understand it, he's doing well. But what, he's, what they said was that the hit was at such an angle and perfectly timed in the peak of the heart that it stopped the heart from beating. This is important. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because... Even though the wind may be stronger than the current, if the wind is not aligned to the center of the mass, 
If it's blowing about any way that it wants, it won't, the object won't get to the island. So the stronger has to stay closer to the center of the pressure so that it can be applied correctly. If you are determining yourself today that you're a pretty strong Christian, you need to stay close to the center of God's will by staying close to Jesus. Because if you don't, you also can go offline and do not help with the gospel. We have seen it in our generation, pastors who could about speak a few words and people will drop to their knees in confession of their sin and come to Jesus Christ and they're no longer in the pulpit. Why? Because they began to blow wind away from the center will of God. Main purpose, main thing that happened. It's true. What I like about this is it equates the weak and the strong. It took Romans 14 and bounced it out to me. There is no value to somebody who is stronger in the faith and somebody who's not. God's the determiner of faith. I'm not. But if I have a strong faith, and if I'm willing to walk, I better stay really on center with Jesus Christ because if I don't, I'll blow in different directions and take people away. That's why in this church we stay in the word of God and we don't move. Now, does that make sense to you? Do you understand why the church, corporately, we need to stay close to the Lord? There are people out there that are currents. They're going the opposite direction. We've got to learn how to have compassion and love and speak to them a way they can understand. And we need to stay close to Jesus. And in corporate prayer, we cry out to God together. No matter what time of night it is, no matter what time of day it is, are you willing to drop all things to come together in prayer and to cry out for this community, for these people, for the Peters that are in prison? I love the fact that it brought equalization to, to the faith. And so, the door is locked due to fear. Prayer is the faith to reach into the reality that is beyond us in corporate prayer. And unity of the saints is our ability to stretch the muscle in the same direction because we're doing it together. And God can open spiritual doors. God can do that. And so as we close out this time, we understand that, in, right, in verse 18, in the morning, right, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as they had become, as, of what had become of Peter. After Herod made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and then ordered that they be executed. And then Herod went on a vacation. As I close this out, I want to I focus on one thing, and I, I want to leave you with this. Um, when they opened the door, they saw Peter, and they were astonished. You know, that word doesn't mean much to your heart. But the message said they went wild. Wild. 
to the point that their shouting was endangering Peter's life. Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that, um, and that as he called his people to pray so that the, the, the uh, Jerusalem could be rebuilt, so God is calling us to pray. Joy is a supernatural delight given by God to his people. It is the strength to see that which the natural man cannot see. It is the vision of God working in the world, and he has given you vision to see it. I am so glad that their faith finally opened the door and their joy went through the roof. As I close this time, there was this man, I, told, I promised you I'd talk to you more about, his name is Rudy. And uh, he, was, um, he was a volunteer with me in youth at Homemakers Reform Church a half mile from here. Um, we had gone on a mission trip, and when we got back, he was mowing his lawn one day, and he couldn't get through mowing his lawn. He sat down on a stump, and he just sat there. And so his wife became concerned. They went to the doctor, found out that he had a football-sized cancer tumor in his, in his uh, pitorium, right, inside the stomach area, or this area. Uh, he went to get the tumor out, he went through chemo- chemotherapy, and, uh, and as they're going the journey, like I said, his wife said, what did she call him? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyways, anyways, um, she just said, you know, we're going to walk through this. We're going to give glory to God. One day, I'm coming home from work. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was on 32nd Street, about ready to turn onto Kalamazoo, near your house. And, and as I was driving, I... You know how I am. I'm a bit emotional. I hit my steering wheel and I said, people have to come to pray. So I got home. Sue and I had an appointment that night. I called my nephew up and I said, Bob, people need to come to pray for Rudy tonight. Make some phone calls. (laughs) Click. He did. I came at, it was probably 10 o'clock, 10.30, to 40 people sitting in the church. We cried out through the midnight hour. And we sang songs together. The next morning at 6 a.m., the doctor called the family and said, Rudy's going to die. His heart is such that I don't expect him to live over the next hour. So the family started to assemble to say goodbye to Rudy. Everything changed. Everything changed. Now, he has cancer again today. Does that mean that God was not faithful? Absolutely not. He had all these years like, like uh, Hezekiah to, to uh, give glory to God in the life that he has. I don't know if this new cancer is going to take him or not. I have no idea. God does. He knows the exact date. But the whole point is this. You should have heard the screaming and yelling of those 40 people when they heard that Rudy did not die that morning. Joy is a supernatural gift from God. I want to go wild. I, I, know, I know that rubs against the Dutch culture. I'm not Dutch. I'm Irish and Scottish. I'm not even sure I'm Irish anymore, according to my newest findings. I'm not sure who I am except Jesus Christ's follower. But I want to go wild. I want to see family members come to Jesus Christ. I want to see um, spiritual doors opened. Don't you? God calls his people to pray. 
He calls his people to pray. He's calling you to pray. So, I have a sense that there's some in this room that wants to close out this message in prayer. Go ahead. Pray us out of here. Why don't you stand as this person gets ready? I don't care who it is. Pray us out of here. Praise you, Father, and we thank you uh, for your willing servant to come forward and to lead us in corporate prayer. Lord, you told us in Ephesians that you are the power, and that in us as a church, that your power is unleashed to the world. Uh, Lord, this is more about you than what we're doing here. We're just coming in. Our act of worship is our humble obedience to come before you and to cry out to you. And so, Father, as Peter, in a very stressful moment, Father, may we also find uh, that we can rest in you. Lord, as the, as the um, uh, post-Pentecostal church, uh, may we also, Father, be uh, a family that, um, uh, that calls out to you and cries out. Father, uh, if we have missed opportunities because we have been infighting and because we have been going the wrong direction, the Lord forgive us for that. But Father, I pray that in this 2023, that both the wind and the current will align in such a way that the gospel will go out from, from the pure church and that the kingdom of God will grow because you show yourself to be true. We love you and we trust you. Lord, even if it's the midnight hour, may your spirit find us crying out. We love you and we trust you in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.